Appreciate that. Young people, and I like their coordination, don't you? They start with Braden and go downhill from there. And so I guess Ms. Dillon is at the bottom of the hill, but I appreciate them doing that. appreciate the practice, all the work they put into that. It's a blessing, and I appreciate our young people that want to serve the Lord. I'm going to ask Dr. Sis to come up again tonight. Uh, tonight will be the last night Dr. Sis will be with us, so if you wanted to get to speak with him, make sure you do it tonight. He'll be leaving out early in the morning, heading back to what he calls God's country, which is Kentucky, out there in the middle of the woods, or Tennessee, but uh, up northeast from here. But uh, I ask him to speak every night uh, of our conference to bump us up a little bit on our faith promise giving. So give him your undivided attention tonight, Dr. Sis. All right, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Last night we talked about the participants, the power, the purpose, the uh, prerequisite. Uh, we talked about the proof in verse 8. And I'm going to skip uh, verse uh, 9. And we will come back to that a little bit later, okay, at the end of the message tonight. And I know some of you got really excited last night. You thought and when I quit... That was it, not the message for the night. And you said, I love that 15-minute message. Okay, but I don't have another one, okay? But uh, anyway, uh, look, if you would, at, at verse uh, 11. Verse 11. Notice uh, what Paul said. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to will. So there may be a performance out of that which you have. So think, think about the performance of faith promise giving. Um, Sunday, you will make a commitment. Then for the next 52 weeks, you will give your offering, and that will be the performance of your commitment. I was speaking in a kindergarten class one day, and this, you know, they were asking questions, and one little boy said, Brother Sisk, if they had... Ten frogs on a log, and nine of them decided to jump. How many frogs would be left? And I said, well, I guess just one frog. And he just laughed. He said, no, they didn't jump. They just decided to jump. <laughs> uh, have, have you ever decided to do something, and, uh, but, you, but you never really did it? All right. Uh, performance. Look, look at verse 10. Now, herein I give my advice. Now, Paul's... You remember he said in, in, in verse 8, I speak not by commandment. So here again he says, and herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you. What does the word expedient mean? It means it's good for you. Uh, giving to missions is good. It is good for the missionaries so they can go to the mission field. It is good for the people that will hear the gospel when they get there. But by the way, it is good for the people who give, amen. I mean, uh, giving is a good thing. Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. So, so we, we think about the uh, performance and we think about the profit. Now, uh, if you would, jump over to verse chapter 9, and we're going to come back in just a minute uh, to verse 9 and, and, and close our session tonight with this, but uh, look at verses 6, 7, and 8, and this is what I call the ABCs of faith promise giving. Uh, in, in verse 6, you have the principles involved in faith promise giving. Look at verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully 
shall reap also bountifully. <clears throat> now, Paul had been talking about giving and receiving all of chapter 8, all of chapter 9. He gets down to verse 6, and he talks about sowing and reaping. Now, he has not done like we as Baptist preachers do and gotten off of our subject. He is giving us an analogy, and he's saying sowing and reaping is like giving and receiving. Let me give you four simple principles real quickly. Number one, we reap what we sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's the reason Jesus said, don't, don't lay treasures in, on earth where moth and rust go, but, but lay treasures in heaven. So we're going to reap what we sow. By the way, we might as well admit something. Most of us spend most of our time, most of our God-given talents, and most of our treasures on earthly, temporal things. Guess what we're going to reap? Earthly, temporal things. If we want anything to last for eternity, then we're going to have to start using our time and our talent and our treasures for spiritual, eternal things. So we reap what we sow. Number two, you reap more than you sow. If you plant a grain of corn, you don't say, well, I expect to reap one grain of corn. No. You plant a grain of corn, the first thing that happens to it is it dies. In the process of dying, it produces a stalk of corn. When the stalk of corn is full grown, it will have two ears of corn. And each of the ears of corn will have about 750 grains of corn. And in one growing season, one grain of corn planted has been responsible for producing 1,500 grains of corn. Now, that's Kentucky corn. It might not be quite that good in Mississippi, but it'd be similar, okay? But the bottom line is you reap more than you sow. Then, then the next principle is you reap in proportion as you sow. The more you sow, the more you reap. You notice every time they take an offering, uh, I put something in. I've, I've made that a habit for many, many years. I, I was preaching in a meeting in, in uh, not too far from Providence, Kentucky, where I was pastoring. And uh, they did not have a pastor. And the moderator said, now, we're going to take an offering for Brother Sisk. And I was sitting on the front seat getting ready to preach. And I put a dollar bill in the offering. And uh, at the end of the service, the uh, moderator gave me an envelope and said, Brother Sisk, here's your offering. And on the way back home, I put it in my, my, my pocket. And on the way back to Providence, I said to Virginia, I said, "Hun, take the envelope, see what, the faith, see what their, their uh, offering was. And she opened the offering envelope, and she started laughing. And I said, "Hun, what's so funny? She said, Don, you know what's in this offering envelope? And I said, no, I don't have any idea. I said, she said, there's a $1 bill. And I thought, that's strange. I put the dollar bill in. And she just kept laughing. And finally, I said, "Hun, what is so funny? And she said, you know, Don, if you'd have put more in, One day, we're all going to wish we'd have given him more, but it'll be too late now. But now, you have the opportunity. Sunday, you have the opportunity to give more. And the more you sow, the more you're going to reap. The last one is, you reap after you sow. <clears throat> now, there are a lot of people that want to reap before they sow. I mean, what, what if somebody came in here some, some night and said, the pastor... Uh, I'm a farmer. I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to plant any corn this spring, but pray that God will give me a good crop, and once he gives me a good crop, I'm going to start planting something. 
You say, something's wrong with that man's thinking, amen. And yet, how many times have you heard people say, if I had a lot of money, uh, I heard one fellow say one time, if I ever win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes, I'm going to give a lot of money to missions. And I got all excited because I know a lot of people's won that, don't you? No, you don't know anybody's ever won it. Okay. Evidently, somebody has, okay? But what he was saying was, if I could reap something first, I'd start sowing something. It doesn't work like that. You reap after you sow. So you reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap in proportion as you sow. And you reap after you sow. Now look at verse 7. And this is our verse for the, for the year. Amen. Uh, you have your Bibles open? Your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you got? All right, let's, let's read, all read verse 7 together, everybody together, okay? I, I love to hear people read the Bible in unison, okay? All together, okay? Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, uh, read just the first two words, okay? All together, every Man, all right, once again, every man. Now, the rest of it says, according as he purposes in his heart. Not according as he can figure out from his budget. According as he purposeth in his heart. Every man, which literally means every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Wouldn't it be something if Sunday morning every member of Central Baptist Church would make a commitment to give something to missions above their regular tithe and offering. Now, by the way, everybody can do something. Uh, is there anybody here that could not give 25 cents a week to missions? Now, God forbid that's what you do, okay? But I'm just saying that. In other words, everybody can do something. So every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so you have the purposing of the giver. And then in verse 8, and I love this statement. If this is all you got tonight, it'd be, it'd be worth coming. And God is able. And by the way, he could have said, God is able to do anything, and he'd be right, because God is omnipotent. But he's talking about giving and receiving and what God will do for us if we give to God the way we should, Okay. And, but look at it. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, there's a lot of alls there. I believe this is what it means, okay? You're going to have your faith promise commitment card. And when you take that commitment card and you put on that commitment card, this is how much I plan to give every week to missions above and beyond my tithe and offering. And then week after week, you give that. Then I believe what God is saying here, then I'll keep giving to you so you'll have to give to others. The provision for the giver. Uh, he did not say the United States government's able. I mean, they're broker than I am, amen? <laughs> I mean, you know, you think of our indebtedness. It's, it's, it's staggering, is it not? It didn't say some company is able, but it said, and God is able. 
Hey, God is bigger than any company, any country. God is bigger than anybody's budget. And God is able to give it to me so I'll have to give to world evangelization. Now let's close with verse 9 over in chapter 8. Look at it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, Paul is writing to Christians. Now he didn't say, you know about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he said. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he is saying, you have experienced the grace of God. How many of you say tonight, thank God I've been saved by the grace of God. Lift your hands real high. Leave them up for just a minute. Saved by the grace of God. Okay, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it experientially, okay? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Think about that, how rich he was. I mean, he created the entire universe. By faith, we understand that the worlds, the entire universe, was formed by the word of God. And by the way, Colossians tells us it was created by him and for him. But look at it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, for your sakes, you that have experienced the grace of God, for your sakes, he became poor. No one ever was as rich as the Lord. And no one ever was as poor as him. You think about it. Calvary. All the horrible sins of the whole world laid on him. For he had made him to be sin for us. He had no sins of his own, but he became sin for us. Now, be careful. He did not become a sinner. But the sins of the world were laid upon him. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes, and for your sakes, and for your sakes, and for your sakes, and for my sakes, he became poor. That I, through his poverty, might be made rich. How rich we are. Think about the passion for missions. The passion for missions. I've said this literally thousands of times. If God has not done anything for you, don't even think about giving to faith promise. But if you know the grace of our Lord, if you have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, then surely we will give sacrificially so the rest of the world can know what we know. I'll never forget an evangelistic team going out one night from Kansai Independent Baptist Bible College over in Japan. One of the young ladies came to our house, Virginia, my house, after the service, and 
She had led an 86-year-old woman to the Lord that night. And, and by the way, she is serving now in Senegal, West Africa, has been there for many, many years. But she said, I told this woman about the grace of God, how that Jesus died for the, and I, I wish I could tell you the whole story that she told me that night. I don't have time for that, but, but here's what spoke to my heart in a special way that night. She said, after I told her how she could know she was saved and going to heaven and what Jesus had done for her, this 86-year-old lady said to Miss Matsumoto, I've always known there was a God like that somewhere, but I did not know about him until tonight. I tell you, the greatest joy in all the world is to tell somebody for the very first time in their life what Jesus has done for them. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And I'm going to listen for pastor's text or look at it to tell me about the record amount that has been committed for world evangelization at Central Baptist Church this year. I wish we'd take it tonight, but uh, he didn't do it, okay? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. And the lights went out. Man, did I do that? Did I switch the lights out? Imagine with me, you're on a plane destined for Nigeria. You don't really know what to expect, but you're excited. Finally, after over half a day of travel, your plane touches down in Lagos, Nigeria. And as you step off the plane, you realize quickly that you are in no tiny African country. You're in the giant of Africa. As you leave the airport, you go around in a city of 20 million people. As you can imagine, it's pretty crazy. There's people everywhere. There's all kinds of noises. Cars are driving in every direction. Because you are in the largest city in all of Africa. As we toured around Lagos, you'd see these great, magnificent buildings. And on the outside, you'd see signs say something like ministry or church. And if we went inside one of those buildings and we sat down, there'd be a man sitting next to you, and his name's Bancola. Bancola's been going to this church week in and week out for years. And he sits there, and the pastor, the apostle, the prophet tells him that he needs to give, he needs to plant a seed into his ministry, and then God will bless him and heal all his diseases, and he'll be wealthy, and nothing will go wrong in his life. Bancola will leave, believing that he needs to work and give and pay for God's favor on his life. Ultimately, Bancole believes that he needs to work in order to earn salvation. And Bancole will live all of his life like this. As we left Lagos and traveled to the north of Nigeria, there wouldn't be quite as many people and the cities wouldn't be so big. And instead of those great big church buildings, you'd see more mosques. And you'd hear the call to prayer ring out over the cities five times a day. Farouk was born in northern Nigeria, and as a newborn, his father took him and whispered into his ear, there's only one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And Farouk has heard that message from that time until now, and he's never heard anything different. He's never heard that God loves him and that he came to this world to die for him so that he could be saved. He believes that he needs to follow the five pillars of Islam, 
follow the laws of the Quran, and maybe one day God will be pleased with him and he'll be allowed to enter into paradise. The stories of these two men will end in one of two ways. Benkole will die trusting in his own works and what he's done on this earth, and Farouk will die believing in the Quran and what it has told him about the Lord. They will bury him facing Mecca, and he will die hoping that he will be allowed to enter into paradise. But both of these men will spend an eternity in hell, separated from God forever. They're not on their way to hell because God doesn't love them, and because Jesus Christ didn't die to pay for their sins. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way for people to be saved other than through Jesus Christ. Prosperity is no mediator, and Islam is no mediator. There is no other way for people to get to God other than Jesus Christ. But their stories don't have to end this way. You see, you and I can do something about that. We are Graham and Olivia Young, and we are excited to see God do a work in Nigeria. If we want to be obedient to the command of our Lord to reach the world with the gospel, to evangelize the entire world, we must reach the giant of Africa. In Matthew chapter number 7, Jesus is speaking, and he begins to speak about the last days. And when men will come before him, and they'll stand before him face to face to be judged. And there in Matthew 7, 22, he begins to talk about this man who will stand before him. And, and this man begins to talk about all the things that he's done for Jesus. This man will say, Lord, Lord. He calls him Lord like he knows him. And then he say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I, I prophesied in your name and cast out devils in your name. Did all these wonderful works in your name. And in that day, there's going to be many, many Nigerians. And they'll stand before him. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, like they knew him. And they thought they were doing everything right. And they were just doing what they were taught. And they'll talk about how much money they've given. Or they'll talk about how many times they went to church or the laws that they followed. In the next verse, Jesus looks at them. And he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I, I never knew you. He'll tell them, I never knew you. And they never knew him. And all across Nigeria, they know, they know about a God. They know about a God that requires a certain amount of, of work, that requires a certain amount of money, but they've never come to know the God that you or I got to know about, that someone told us about. Someone told us about it's not about how much money you can give, and it's not about how much good you can do, because Jesus Christ paid the full price. You don't have to try to give your way into heaven. You don't have to try to work your way because he fulfilled all righteousness. And if you will just trust in him, he'll save you. So... And when I stand before him in that day, I'll be able to look at him and I'll say, Lord, Lord, I didn't do much good, but here's what you did for me. And he'll, he, that's what he'll be pleased with, and that's the, God, that's the God that they need to know about. The verse in the video is 1 Timothy 2.5, and I, I love that verse, and the verse is right before it. God used him in my heart in a big way to, to, when he was calling me to be a missionary when I was 15. I got saved when I was 15, and just a few months after that, and called me to be a missionary. But those verses, 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. 
The verse after that says there's one God and there's one mediator. There's only one way for people to be made right with God. There's only one God. There's no other way. That one God is very good. He is a very good God, and he died for sinners. He died for this world, and he wants people to know the knowledge of that truth, that he loves them and wants them to be saved. That's what's good and acceptable to him. That's what he wants. He wants people to know about what I've come to know. He wants people to know him. He wants people to know about how Jesus died for them because he is a very good and gracious God. We, Olivia and I, you know, I'm Graham, and my wife Olivia is sitting over there. And, you know, you don't have to meet me. There's not much great about me, but if you get the chance, you've got to meet her. She's, she's great. But God saved us as, as young people, and you know, there's, there's really nothing special about me. Coming from the family that I do, I'm the only preacher, and it's much more likely that coming from the family that I do to be in jail then I'd be a preacher. But the gospel came into my family. And my parents got saved. And my grandparents had the chance to hear the gospel. And I got saved. And it completely changed everything. And it changed her. And it changed her family. And we want to tell people about who our God is and what he's done for them. So we're going to Nigeria to plant churches. Because that's, that's his solution for people that haven't heard the gospel. We, I don't have that much to offer. There's, there's 200 million people in Nigeria. There's more than 200 million people in I can't be the preacher for every single one of them. But if we can go there and we can start a church, and as people get saved and they're discipled to follow Jesus, and Nigerians are trained to lead and to pastor, a great work of God could be done all across Nigeria. Nigeria could be reached with the gospel. And God's going to do that through his local church. I really believe him. I, I think that he can do that. I, he's an almighty God. And so I ask that you would pray for us. We're, we're on deputation right now. We're, we're kind of finishing up. We're we're 80% of our support, and Lord willing, we're going to be leaving in, in July. We're actually we're planning on buying plane tickets tomorrow. And so this is an exciting time. So I ask that you pray for us. Pray that God, more than anything, would you pray that God will prepare people's hearts in Nigeria before we get there. So that when we come into contact with people, that they would, they would already be ready to accept the gospel. And there, there would be young people who say, you know, I want to serve God. And that God would call them into the ministry to, to lead and to pastor. We serve a good God. And he wants to save. And he's given us a message that's unlike any other. So I ask that you pray for us, that we'd be able to get to Nigeria quickly to share that message with them. Now, if you would, would you open your Bible with me to uh, 2 Kings chapter number 7. 2 Kings chapter number 7. We need to understand just how wonderful, just how wonderful this message, this treasure that we've been given is. I want you to understand that this evening. This, this is incredible. There is nothing like this. It transforms people. It's transformed you. It gives you a new heart. There's nothing like it. And we need to share this treasure with people around the world. It's very simple. Before we get into this, this, this story, uh, this message in 2 Kings 6 and 7, I just want to read a verse to you um, from 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 verse 3 says this. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, having blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you for your word. It is so good. I ask that you'd help us to learn from it, and that we would see it and apply it to our lives. And save somebody if they're not saved this evening. God, I love you, and I ask all these things. In your name. 
So in 2 Kings chapter number 6, 2 Kings chapter number 6, at the end of this passage, it begins to tell us about the, the city of Samaria. The city of Samaria is being besieged. So look with me, if you would, at, at um, verse number 24. 2 Kings 6, 24 says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. So we got the capital city of the northern kingdom of Samaria, and there's, there's a great big wall around it, but this enemy kingdom of, of Syria has come and besieged him. I, I hope you guys don't mind, around, mind if I move around a lot tonight. You know, I got to move around. If I stay behind the pulpit, I won't really be able to see everybody. I'm, you know. But um, so this city has been besieged. There's this great big wall around it. But as the siege is happening, it goes on for months and months and months. And it goes on for so long that they run out of food in Samaria. And there's a famine. And they're running out of water. And it just becomes this horrible time in the city of Samaria. The next verse goes on and it tells you that people, there's, there's no bread. They can't find any grain. They can't find any bread. They're, I mean, it's just horrible. People are giving like their life savings. They're giving all this money, just you know, pounds and pounds of, of silver and gold, just to be able to buy a donkey's head to be able to eat that with their family. And that, that, wasn't, that wasn't a usual thing. They're, just, they're trying to scrape together whatever they can just to be able to eat a little bit so that their wives and their children don't have to starve. It's a horrible time. It's, it's, there's desperate conditions in Samaria. And we need to understand how people around this world live without God. I'm not, I'm not really talking about you know, material conditions, and that's important. But there are people around this world that have never had the chance to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. All around this world, people have never heard the message of how they can be saved. From the time they're born until the time they die, no one has ever told them about what Jesus has done for them, about how good God has been to them. But this world is lost and dying and on its way to hell. So as people are dying in Samaria, there's, there's all these horrible things going on. I, you know, this is, a, this is a very simple message. I just want, we're going to go over some scriptures that I'm sure you already know. But we just need to be reminded of it to understand the conditions that this world are in. Go, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter number 2. We're going to look at a few verses right there. And if you got, we're going to go through a lot of different scriptures tonight. But I encourage you, if you can, just, just open up your Bible to these and to read them. And just let the scriptures preach themselves. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. So this, this, in this verse, he's talking to believers. And he said, he's made you alive. He's quickened you. And this is good news. So you, were, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but then God came along, and he made you alive. He quickened you. But do you understand that people around this world, they have no spiritual life. None at all. They're dead in trespasses and sins. What does that mean? It means they cannot do anything to fix it. They can't do anything to fix it. They can't do enough good, like we've already gone over. They can't do enough good. They're completely, they're, they're dead. They cannot get to God unless somebody tells them about the message. But they, they, there's not enough good. They're lost and dead in their sins. And that's where you and I were. And praise God, someone told you if you're saved this evening, we know what it's like to be made alive. It's the most wonderful thing in the world but they have no idea how that can be changed. They are dead in trespasses and sins. Completely stuck. They can't do anything about it. That's how this world is living. There are people in, there are people in Japan. There are people in Venezuela. They have no idea what it's like to have a conversation with God. 
They have no idea what it's like to open up the scriptures and to have the Holy Spirit speak to them. They have no idea what that's like because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're separated from God. They have no spiritual life. That's the conditions of this world. And city, the city of Samaria was starving. They were dying. And all around this world, people are starving and dying for the knowledge of God. They have no idea who he is. They have no idea. And the, the passage goes on. Just look at verse number 12. This is, this is I mean, it's a, it's a good verse to remind yourself of if you're saved. But it's a horrible verse if you don't know him. Look at verse number 12. Ephesians 2.12. That at that time, before you knew God, before you were saved, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. You were, se- you were separated from, from Christ. You, didn't, you weren't in Christ. You didn't have all the blessings that come along with that. You had none of the promises. None of, none of those blessings were given to you. And then it says this, having no hope and without God in the world. Do you remember that time in your life? Do you remember that time in your life? You had no hope. Around this world, people are living. People in Japan, they, worked their, they, they live their lives just working, trying to make something of their lives, but they have no hope. They have no hope. They don't. And they're without God in the world. They're without God in the world. Now, don't, don't let that just pass over you. Yeah, they're without God in the world. You know what it's, if you're saved, you know what it's like to have a relationship with God. You know what it's like to have his peace in your heart, to, to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You know what it's like that when you're going through a hard time, that you can still have joy because you know God. Because Jesus came along and saved you. But people in this world, they're without him. They've never known him. They know about gods that they require them to give some sacrifice. They would know about gods that require them to burn some incense. They know about gods that treat them cruelly. But they've never known the God who's rich in grace and mercy. They've never known about Jesus, how wonderful he was. They have no idea who he is. The city of Samaria was starving. They were, they were dying. And all around this world, there are people that are dying without the knowledge of God. They've never known him. And we have the message that they need to hear. There is a world that needs to hear about the God that we know about. We can take him to them, but they're without God. They don't know him. Look at this. Go to Romans 1. Romans 1. So not only, they don't have the blessings. They're not, they're not in Christ. They're without Christ, and they don't know God. How horrible that is. They don't know him. But not only do they not know him, they're not his child. His wrath, the wrath, the punishment, is coming for them. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We all know that we're all sinners and we're all unrighteous. Every one of us, every person around the world is unrighteous. And this verse says, and God's wrath is revealed against that unrighteousness. So these people, they're separated from God. They're aliens to God. They don't know him. And his wrath is coming for them. Their, their destiny, they're without hope. And the hope that they, 
what they're looking forward to is an eternity in hell separated from him forever. There is wrath that is coming for this world. In Samaria, they were starving and dying, and there was nothing that could be done for them. They were just waiting for either to starve or for the enemy to knock down their walls and to just level the city. That's what they were waiting for. And around this world, there are people that are just waiting for an eternity in hell, even if they don't know it. This world is living in desperate conditions. There are people that we're talking about the mission field. There are people here. And even if we don't recognize it, even if we, we look around and there's all these churches and this, it, there are people around us that don't know God. They're, they're, the God of this world has blinded them. The gospel is hid to them. And there is an eternal hell waiting for them. And we know how that doesn't have to be for them. We know how that can change for them. But the city was waiting to die. And people all around this world are waiting without God for an eternity in hell. And look at this. Go to, go to John chapter number 3. Again, I told you, this is very simple verses. I just want the scripture to speak to you. Romans, John 3.18. A friend of mine, he, he told me about, he, he was a missionary and he told me about this. He was, he was talking to some of the national pastors there. And they were riding on a bus. And they were going down the street. And he said, I want you to look out the windows. And look at all these people. The street was full of people. People walking, going to and fro. He said, I want you to look at these people. And I want you to notice. He said, what's written on their forehead? He said, what's written on their forehead? And there, there was nothing written on their forehead that they could see. So these young men said, I, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? This man, he said, on their forehead is written one word, and it's condemned. Look at John 3.18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. If you believe on Jesus, you're not condemned. But listen, he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he that hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Not only is the wrath revealed against them, not only is there punishment that's coming, even now there's condemnation. The sentence is already passed, condemned to die. People all around this world are condemned. They don't know God, and all they have waiting for them is death. But yet there's a chance that that doesn't have to be. I've had the chance to go all around this world. There are people, I've had the chance to go to different countries. God's blessed me. And you can go to India. You can go to India, and there's people, they, they go to the temple every day, and they, they spin a prayer wheel, and they go down to the river, and they try to wash themselves, and they try to do all these different things, and, and they, when, when their relatives die, they burn their body, and they throw the ashes in the river, just hoping that the gods will hear their prayer. But no one hears. There's no God. There's none that answers. And all that's waiting for them is condemnation. But yet there is a God in heaven that wants to hear their prayers, that's ready to save them, that's already paid for their salvation. But the sentence for now is already passed. And they're condemned already because they've not believed. There's a way that they don't have to be condemned. If you believe, you're not condemned. But they haven't. For many people, they've never heard how they can believe. So the city of Samaria, the, the enemy was surrounding them. And it had been years. It had been months. And there was no food. And people were starving and dying. But listen to this. Salvation came for them. Salvation came for the city of Samaria. 
So we were in 2 Kings chapter number 6. Go to the next chapter with me. In 2 Kings 7, verse number 1, it says this. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So, I mean, get the picture. It helps so much if you just imagine these Bible stories in your mind. There's a city, and it's just desolate. The food, there's no food on the shelves. You can't get anything to eat. And then this prophet, this prophet Elijah comes and he says, just don't worry, here's what God says. In just 24 hours time, about this time tomorrow, you'll be able to get by all the barley, you'll be able to make all the bread that you could, you'll be able to buy it just like you could before this famine happened, before this army came around. And everybody laughs at him. Everybody, no one believes him. Because I mean, you know, I, did, I didn't, I'm not a farmer. But I did grow up, I grew up in, in Ohio, and there was just, there's a lot of corn in Ohio, if you've never been there. And you know, they'd plant, they plant the corn in the spring, but you don't really expect the corn to grow up and, and be ready to harvest the next day, do you? And so this guy says, you know, there's going to be food, all, all you can eat. You can buy it just like you could before, just in 24 hours' time. Nobody believes him. There's salvation that's coming, there's this salvation that's prophesied, but it just seems impossible. So Elisha says, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And the story goes on. Look at verse number three. And so it says, and there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine's in the city. We shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they will save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So there's these four leprous men. And in the Old Testament, right in, in the times that the Bible was written, lepr leprosy was a horrible disease. It was very infectious. And so you, right, they, they'd kick the lepers out of the city, and they had to live in, in leper colonies outside the gate. And so these men are sitting out there. And not only do they have leprosy, which is basically a death sentence, they're starving. And so these four leprous men are sitting there with themselves, and, and they reason to themselves. They say, hey, we're sitting here in the gate. We're sitting here outside the city. And if we sit here, we're going to starve and we're going to die. And we could go into the city, but really it'll be the same there. We'll starve and we'll die in there. And so they say this. If we go out to this enemy army out here, the enemy army out there, if we go out there, maybe they'll take us prisoner. Maybe they'll let us go and, and we'll live. Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll take care of us. They say, but maybe we'll go out there and maybe they'll kill us, but that's okay because we're going to die anyways. So they, they reason this amongst themselves, and so they say, so let's just go out there to this enemy army. Now remember, salvation's been prophesied for the city of Samaria. Nobody can believe it. But listen to this, verse number four and verse number five. And they rose up in the twilight, and it's still dark. It's so hard to see. And they go out to the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. This is strange. They walk out of the city. I don't know how far they had to walk. They walk through no man's land. And as they're coming to the uttermost part of the camp, the, out, the, the outside of the camp, right? They can't find anybody. And that's really strange. The Syria, Syria was besieging Samaria, right? And that meant they just had, I don't know how many thousands of men just camped out there. They were just waiting, starving them out. But when you got a siege, you have to have a lot of soldiers, right? And so 
It's twilight, you know, there's ought to be men sitting around the campfires, and, you know, they're telling their war stories, and these are big, strong men, and, you know, there's, there should have been the rattling of the swords, and, and there should have been all these animals, and all, it should have been, you know, a, a lively place, right? They come to the camp, but there's no man there. They can't find anybody. Listen to what God had done. Verse number six says, For the Lord had made the host of Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the, the, the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and they left their horses and they left their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. So what, what had happened? The men were sitting there and they were, they were sleeping, but in the middle of the night they heard this, this incredible noise, this loud noise, and it sounds like an army. There is no army. But it sounds like this army, and they say, oh my goodness, they've hired these enemy armies to come and to wipe us out. And these men of war, big strong men that have seen battle before, that should have been brave, that they're experienced, they just pick up and they t- take off running. They take off running in a complete panic. I mean, it doesn't even make sense what they do. They leave behind all the horses and they're trying to get away. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but God had saved the city of Samaria. And so the enemy's completely gone. They're completely gone. Look what, and then look what verse number 8 says. And then when these lepers were come to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent, and they did eat and drink, and they carried then silver and gold. These soldiers had picked up, and they just left everything behind. They didn't get the animals. They didn't get their weapons. They didn't get the gold that they used to pay the soldiers. They left all the food. They left it all behind, and they just took off running back home. And there was enough food to feed an army for months. Enough food to feed the whole city of Samaria. And these lepers start going into the tents and they, they find all this. But salvation had come for Samaria. They were saved. The enemy was gone. And the siege was over. And the famine could end. And tonight, salvation has been provided for the world. For the whole world. When people are lost and dead in their sins, when the condemnation has already come against them... It doesn't have to be the case because God has provided salvation for this entire world. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. He loved the entire world and he gave his son for them so they could be saved. So let's go over a few more verses. Again, real simple. So the first thing was the world's in a desperate condition. The second thing is salvation has been provided for this world. Salvation has been provided for this world. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 just talks about how much God, he loves us. He loves this world and he's made a way for us to be saved. Now turn with me, if you would, to, to Romans 5. Romans 5, we're going to read a few verses here. Romans 5, verse number 6 through 8. Turn to Romans 5, 6 through 8. Here the Bible says, For when we were yet without strength... In due time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly. For people that didn't want him. For people that rebelled against him. For the ungodly. When you and I were without strength, before we were saved, before we knew how we should live our lives, before you were in church, before you followed his laws, he died for you. In Nigeria, when they, when they rebel against him, when they act like they, they, they don't want him at all, he still died for them. All around this world, there are people 
that our God loves and who Jesus died for. When they were yet without strength, when they couldn't do anything to fix it, when they were dead in their trespasses and sins, when they were still ungodly, Jesus died for them. Now, you and I wouldn't do that. Verse number 7 says, For scarcely, barely, for even a righteous man will one die. We wouldn't even die for a good person, let alone an ungodly person. But that's not who God is. Look at verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us while we were what? We were yet sinners. We were still sinners. Christ died for us. God showed his love for us, and his love was so great that when we were still sinners, when we did not want him at all, when we couldn't care less about him, he died for us. He died for this world when we completely turned our backs on him. That's who our God is. Salvation has been provided for this world. We have a message, and it's an incredible message, that salvation has come, that God has already saved the world. They just got to hear about it. The world just has to hear about it. Look at Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10. Salvation has come. Even before people know about it, salvation's come. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Salvation was provided for the world. Look what Luke 19.10 says. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to this world. And he didn't come for the people who already had it together. He didn't come for the religious Pharisees. He didn't come, the physician didn't come for those who were already whole, like he says. He came for those who were sick. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to seek and to save the Hindu in India. He came to seek and to save the Muslim in northern Africa. He came to seek and save the atheist in Europe. He came to seek and to save the religious person in America. He came to seek and save those who completely rebelled against him because he's such a good God. Salvation's been provided for this world. God had saved the city of Samaria. Even though they were dying, even though they were starving, the enemy was gone. The sins of this world have been paid for. I don't know if we always grasp that. You can go around to any, any person you meet, and you can, it doesn't matter who they are, what background they come from, or what they look like. You can say to them, Jesus loves you, and he died to save you, and if you'll just trust him, you'll be saved. Any person, because salvation's been provided for this world. He came to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus died for sinners, and we need to understand, he died for everybody around this world. The Bible is very clear about that. Go to John 1. John chapter 1, look at verse number 29. I know we're, we're flipping all around the Bible. I think it's so important that we see these scriptures and we grasp them. John 1.29 says this. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God. The punishment, he was the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Of everybody around this world, Jesus died on the cross and the sins were placed upon him for everyone. For everybody. Salvation is offered to everybody. They just have to know about it. They just need someone to tell them. 
That's you and me. But he's come to take away the sins of the world. John 3.17 says that he came so that the world might be saved. The world might be saved. And 1 John 2.2 says this. That he is the propitiation for the sins not only of, of us, but the sins of the world. Jesus Christ came to this world and their sins have been paid for. Go back with me to 2 Kings chapter number 7. This is the last thing. So the first was, their world's in a desperate condition. They're lost and they're dying without God. The second thing is, salvation's come for them. This third and last thing is, the good news needs to be delivered to them. So in verse number 8, the, the lepers, they go into their tents and they start, they eat all the food they can get their hands on. And they start digging holes and burying the gold. These just four men, and they're eating all the food they can find. They're hiding this gold. They go from one tent to the next, and they're doing all this. But then they look at themselves in verse number 9. And what do they say? Verse 9 says, and then they said one to another, we do not well. We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. They were out there in the, in the camp. But Samaria had no idea. People were still starving. And people were still dying. But that, people were still dying. They didn't have to be. And you and I have found something that is of immeasurable worth. This most sinful person can be set free by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He's so rich in grace and mercy that he's got enough for everybody. And you and I know about it. Listen, if we don't tell this world, we do not well. So why, why do we give money? Why, why do we do faith promise missions? Why do we send missionaries? Why do we pray? Why do, why do we do all this? Because we serve a God that died for the sins of this world, and he wants them to know. He wants them to know. And he's been so good to you and me. He's been so good to you and me. We didn't do anything to deserve to hear about it. We didn't do anything to deserve for him to die for us. But he gave himself anyways. What he wants is for you and I to take this message and to give it to a people who have never heard before. So I said you would consider how God would have you get involved in getting the gospel all around this world. Salvation's been provided, but they're still lost. Salvation's been provided, but they never heard about it. So this evening, why don't you consider what God would have you to do about telling people who have never heard. Let's pray as we close, as we turn it over to Pastor God. I love you. Thank you for saving us. You've been so good to us. And Lord, if we don't tell somebody about how good you are, if, you don't, if we don't tell somebody about what you've done for us, we do not well. You want to save this world. So I ask that you would help us to be a part of that and that you would move and work in a mighty way. I love you and I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. Our heads are going to be bowed, eyes closed. I want you to think about something before we have our invitation. Those words says, we do not well. We do not well. I think we do okay. 
Central Baptist Church gives a lot to missions. I don't know that we could say we do well. And I want you to understand, we all want to hear well done, don't we? We want to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. If we want to hear well done, we've got to do well. We don't want to hear, okay, thou good and faithful servant. No, we want to hear well done. So we've got to do well. So let's pray and ask God tonight as the pianist begins to play, God, help me to do well. Show me how I can do well in missions this year. Take my life and let it be Okay is not good enough for our job. Okay is not good enough for our hobby.